0: Welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, June 16th, year of our Lord 2022. But October 8th, where will you be? For that matter, where will I be? The biggest Saturdays of the college football season we will talk about tonight. We are jam packed high atop a baking downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I love where our show is going. We've been in contact with the NBA today. I've told Commissioner Silver we're going to get off the air roughly about the time you guys tip off, so you're not going to miss anything. We're not going to overlap. But what we are going to talk about tonight is we are going to talk about expectations for major programs. We did five of them the other night. We're going to do five more tonight. I am indeed going to share with you not one, not two, but three of the biggest Saturdays this fall. Some of these lineups uh, are properly rated, and some of them are a little bit underrated. Not anymore. As of tonight, You'll know how to make those plans for the fall. Bold Predictions X7, Chapter 17 on Bold Predictions tonight, going strong. And you know what I think? I think Urban Meyer is going to coach in college football again, and I will explain. I don't need many reasons, but one big reason why. St. Augustine, Florida tuned into the show tonight, as is not only San Jose, California, but we also had San Jose, Costa Rica check in, Moultrie, Georgia, and Kanapali in Maui, where it is 2 p.m., and yet one of you has confirmed. You are tuned in from the beach, which I admire. I mean, more than you could know, because I would not listen to my own voice on a beach. So the fact that you are opting to voluntarily means the world to me. We are going to hit 98,000 subs on this YouTube channel at some point, either tonight or tomorrow. We are inching ever closer to 100,000. And when we get there, oh, what a day it will be around here. In the meantime, we got a, I was going to say loaded, I was going to say jam packed, either one fits what this show uh, looks like tonight. So let's dive right in. Uh, we do best, worst, and most likely record scenarios a little bit later, probably in August, about the time you guys open camp, we'll be doing those. But as of tonight, what I wanted to do is a continuation of what we did the other night. The most reasonable record projections for major teams this is where I want to start the show. And I'm going to start with Georgia. Uh, this is not the best case. This is not the worst case, but kind of What's reasonable for the fan base down there to expect? Georgia's coming off a national championship, first one in 40-some-odd years. You know all that. Uh, this is going to be a pretty set number for Georgia moving forward. I think the reasonable expectation for them is 11-1. and 1. Uh, They're going to kind of be like Alabama from this point on. They're going to kind of be like Ohio State from this point on. That's pretty much the reasonable expectation every year. When you have the combination of a supremely talented roster and a high caliber staff, and you've got the maximum investment, and you've got those boxes checked. Not many do, but when you have that, yeah, 11 wins is the minimum expectation. And you may see them drop a game, but rarely when you have rosters like these, do you drop multiple games in the regular season. And when you do, the natives will rightfully consider it a disappointment. So yeah, we got that with Georgia, 11 and one they're going to be favored every week. So again, when you talk about a loss here and you predict a loss, or if you do, it's never going to be about, oh, I think that's the week in week four. That's the week in week seven. When teams like Georgia lose, when when teams like Alabama lose, when teams like Ohio State lose, it normally looks like uh, last year when, for instance, Texas A&M as a three-touchdown favorite took down Alabama. And what you got is you got a perfect storm of Uh, In that case, a night atmosphere, but you got a raucous environment, and you had a quarterback do everything that he needed to do in the second half, and you had an Alabama team a little bit wobbly still on the road. That kind of stuff, that's the way you'll see Georgia lose a game. I'm looking at their schedule right now. Uh, Week three at South Carolina. No one's Well, hardly anyone's going to predict them to lose that game, but that's the kind of game where if they got clipped at the end of the season, you'd look back and you'd ask yourself, man, how... How did I not take that game more seriously? So anyway, that's not a prediction. I'm just, as an anecdotal example, kind of portraying why 11-1 is a reasonable expectation for Georgia. Now, we're going to do a team that we were going to do the other night, and we have perfect reason to slide them in here tonight. What about Florida State? I'm glad we waited, actually, Jesse. I'm glad we waited uh, about 72 hours on this because I changed my mind. I was going to go 8-4 the other night. You know what I did? I slid it down the scale a little bit, And I put the reasonable expectation at 7 and 5. Their over-under win total is 7. So we're we're erring on the side of aggression here with all of these reasonable expectations. Most of my reasonable expectation win totals are going to be overs in the betting market. I'm saying that up front. Uh, So... You know, at this point, if you watch or listen to Late Kick, famously, there's a stat around FSU football where they didn't have a 300-yard passing game last year. Seven of their games were below 200 yards, uh, so the offense was fairly anemic at times. Also, I have spelled out for you, whether it be holes on the roster or where recruiting is and the progression overall of the team, why I think a lot of what I see with them is still a year away. There's just like a a bright blinking marquee above FSU football right now, one year away still, not from winning the national title, mind you, but from legitimately calling for a nine or maybe even 10 win season and being in contention for things they haven't been in contention for in a while. I look right now, you know, we had their, we got their schedule up right now, actually, They open against Duquesne. This is one of few teams that has a week zero game. But then they have LSU. So that's the quote unquote neutral site game in New Orleans. But after that, if you look at Duquesne and Georgia Tech and Syracuse and Louisiana Lafayette, if I assume they win all four of those games, which we're going to do just for argument's sake for a moment, I've still got to find three more or four more if you're arguing that it should be eight and four that's reasonable for them. I've got to find four more wins. Now, if you're a Florida State fan, sure, you can look at a game at Louisville and say, oh, we should win that one. Boston College comes in here, we should win that one. Uh, we, we'll, we'll have a puncher's chance against Wake Forest and NC State, more than a puncher's chance against those teams. Clemson has to come into Doak. Yeah, I understand how it sounds. But you guys also remember what it was like last year. So do we think we've made a quantum leap forward? Or do we think we've taken a steady Uh, Maybe a a decent stride length forward. Because if we have seven and five is what this year would look like. Eight and four, I think, would be a big success for them this year. I'm going to go seven and five, though. Uh, Penn State, next up. Let's head to the Big Ten. Penn State, I'm going to get pretty aggressive here. They were seven and six last year. Uh, Penn State, I reasonably expect them to be at 10 and two this year if I am a Nittany Lions fan. Same theme as 2021. I think we talked about this a little bit on the Sunday show. When we were entering the 2021 season, we knew, if we were Penn State fans, a couple of things. We knew that we were opening on the road at Wisconsin, and we knew we had Auburn coming in here in week three, and those were going to be coin flip point spread games, but if we won both of them, we could be off to the races. Well, here was the good-bad of that. The good news is they won both of the games. Then the bad news is they went to Iowa undefeated, and they came back with one loss and no quarterback, and also Will Levis had transferred, so they really— We're in dire straits at the quarterback position, and then the season went off the rails. Okay, well, we got that quarterback back in Sean Clifford, and we've got a fresh start this year, but it feels a lot like 2021 because what do we have? Lo and behold, we got a road game against Purdue to start the year. We're favored by three. Then two weeks later, we're going to go to Auburn, very unfamiliar territory for us on the road, and uh, that line's like one either way. So another pair of coin flip games in the first three weeks of the season for Penn State, will largely, well, I guess it'll totally spell out whether I've got a shot with this 10-2 and two reasonable record projection or not. Because if they drop either one of those games, which I need them to be 2-0 and in, if they drop either one of them, and I know I've still got to go to Michigan, I've got Minnesota, I've got Ohio State, and I've got Michigan State at the end of the year, it's going to be tough. Not undoable, but it's going to be tough. However, if you're watching on YouTube and you're looking at the schedule, imagine if they do get through that Ohio State game, if they get through October with one loss or, or undefeated, it's a whole different ballgame. But if they're a one loss team and they get into November, it's not exactly a murderer's row in November. They go to Indiana, then they've got Maryland, then they go to Rutgers, and then they've got a big game against Michigan State to end the season. So a number of things could happen here. But again, I told you we're erring on the side of aggression with these expectations. 10 and 2. It is reasonable for you to expect that. The South Carolina Gamecocks are one of the most fascinating teams when it comes to this exercise. I was doing radio in Charlotte yesterday, and I was asked about all the local teams in and around the Carolinas, and South Carolina came up. And you know how a lot of times in college football, you can get fooled into thinking progression or regression, for that matter, is always linear. So if we're going to progress as a team, and we won seven games last year, by the very definition of record progress, we've got to be at eight wins or more this year, right? Well, it's not right. That's not always how it works. Progression is not always linear in sports or in life. And secondly, you are a lot of times beholden to what your schedule says you are instead of what your record says you are. The over-under win total right now for the Gamecocks, for those not familiar, is six. I am going to make the reasonable record projection for them, seven and five. And you might think to yourself immediately, well, didn't they just win seven games last year? That would be kind of disappointing, wouldn't it? Well, let me tell you a little story. It's called the South Carolina Gamecocks 2022 football schedule. It's really, really tough. And I don't even include Clemson on the end of it. I'm just talking about their conference schedule. But they do have, obviously, the Clemson Tigers at the end. Um, here's what I'm looking at. I'm going to give you four games in the kind of for sake of argument uh, light, I'm going to consider wins. They got Georgia State, South Carolina State, Charlotte, and at Vanderbilt. We're going to call that 4-0 for the time being. Even if we have four wins already under our belt here, listen to this lineup. At Arkansas, Georgia, at Kentucky, A&M, Missouri, at Florida, Tennessee, at Clemson. I uh, was just doing a quick scan of the projected point spreads or the lines that had already been released. Guys, they could be a dog in six or seven of those games. They could be a point spread underdog in six or seven of their remaining games. So if we're going to get to eight and four, which is better than I'm calling it, seven and five. If if you're going to argue with me that it should be higher, I should be calling eight and four or nine and three here. You're telling me, essentially, they probably got to sweep Kentucky, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, or they got to pull a, a pretty sizable upset against maybe a Georgia or an a and at Clemson, at Florida. Uh, all that, you know, technically is possible, but you're looking at having to string some things together here to get above seven wins, which was the mark last year, that I don't know is reasonable to expect. Certainly in a best-case scenario, it's possible, uh, I don't think it's reasonable. I don't think it's fair. I'll say, I'll say that much. I don't think it's fair to just, start, to just start looking at Shane Beamer and saying, all right, well, if, you, if you're really the guy we think you are, eight or nine wins this year. If you get that done, then we know you're the right guy for the job. I don't necessarily look at South Carolina that way. So seven and five is my reasonable expectation for them. And last but not least, let's go all the way to the other side of the country. What about USC? This is going to be a, a highly covered team this year. And they were four and eight last year. So how much improvement should we expect? On one hand, we know Lincoln Riley has come in and in a unprecedented manner overhauled the roster, including at quarterback. So, if you were gonna if you were gonna err on the side of aggression, this would be the team to do it with. Four and eight last year. Co-favorites to win the Pac-12 right now. I said nine and three is a, a reasonable expectation. Their over-under win total is nine. So even by the letter of the odds makers, this is not overly aggressive. uh, I think that you got to be careful suffering from what I call preview mag syndrome. Preview magazine season is upon us, and every time you open one of those things, after you smell it, which we all have to do, after you smell the preview magazine, then you look at rosters. Don't they look so pristine? Don't they look so great? There's not a single red Sharpie line through any starter. There's not a single torn ACL. There's not a single broken arm or sprained knee. But yet, what do you and I both know? None of those preview magazines in July ever end up looking like your actual roster does in November. Which makes there to be a D word uh, that's one of the most important in the sport, and that is depth. Does USC have the depth, according to their own head coach, Lincoln Riley, throughout spring, they view that to be an ongoing issue. That's why they've been so active in the portal. I think they had something like 60 scholarship players in the spring. Uh, they're not where they need to be yet. It's impossible, even with the moves they've made, to get where they need to be. Uh, that's a multi year process. Again, even in the portal era, that's a multi year process. But even having said all that, when you start to look at the schedule, they open against food, aka rice. Uh, They go to Stanford, Fresno State, at Oregon State, Arizona State, Washington State. I'm already through half the season. They're going to be favored in every one of these games. So you might be wondering, where are they losing? Are they losing at Utah? Oh, I could see that. But then Arizona's not beating USC. Cal's not beating USC. you got to be careful talking like that. Because with questionable depth at places like corner and the offensive line, uh, a lot of cohesion that needs to happen for you to go from being parts to a functioning machine, or in this case a football team, sometimes if that doesn't happen on everyone's preferred timetable, some upsets happen that you didn't see coming. So I know you don't look at a trip to Oregon State right now, or you don't look at Washington State coming in there in in week, uh, what is that, six or something like that. No, you don't look at those games and think USC should lose them. But yet at the same time, because of the volatile nature of the style of team they're gonna have this year, Well, volatile in terms of result, potential result. Uh, It's all on the table. And then on the back half, they do have games, like I said, at Utah. They do go to UCLA. They've got Notre Dame. So it gets a little bit tougher in the back half. But even in the front half, this is not going to be a team this year where you look around in the preseason and you just dial up the Ws. In years to come, we may very well feel comfortable enough with USC to do that. This is year one. In, in some cases, it's a year zero because of the way they're having to hit the reset button there. Uh, but they're going to be capable of doing things this year. I don't disagree with oddsmakers when they install them as a co-favorite. That has a little bit more to do with the conference they're in than maybe the caliber of team they're going to have this year. Uh, they're not going to be an elite team this year. But as for expectation this year, yeah, I think nine and three is fair because it, it's reasonable in that it takes into account all of the potential depth concerns if, if and when injuries crop up. And also just what it takes to become a team. You don't, this is not Xbox. You don't just throw a bunch of, of pieces in a blender, hit the button for five seconds, pour it out and fall camp, boom, there you go, you got a football team. That's not the way teams are formed. That's the way talent is acquired. But getting the talent versus having the team, two different things. Lincoln Riley's got to build the team out there. That's what they're in the process of doing. So nine and three, I think is pretty reasonable uh, for USC. I had an email from one of you a couple of days ago and I already sent it to the proper authorities, but I wanted to read it on the show tonight. This is from Rob in New York. I know many of you have been in this position. He said, I wanted to reach out and send a very sincere thank you. I was born and raised in New York. I'm from Long Island. We have no academy sports and outdoors in my area. I've actually never heard of their brand until you brought them up as a sponsor. They recently came up huge for me. As of last week, I am now officially a homeowner. Congratulations to Rob, by the way. And I was in need of a new grill. For years, I've wanted what I consider my dream grill. The only place that had a deal on that grill was Academy. None of the other big-name stores had a discount or a deal of any kind. Academy did, and because of that, very shortly, I'll be able to start cooking up amazing meals for my family and friends for years to come. And most importantly, on College Saturdays, love the show, all the best, Rob. And for any doubters out there, Rob included a screenshot of his receipt. Academy Sports and Outdoors, as I tell you two or three times a week, depending on the frequency of the broadcast, is your one-stop shop for almost everything in life. I don't know that they sell diapers there. Pretty much no one sells baby formula right now in this country. But outside of those, and maybe a few other odds and ends, Academy Sports and Outdoors has everything you need. Certainly your bats and balls and gloves are there. But also, Rob found his grill hookup at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And you know what else? Academy has our back. That's why with prices going up all over the place, we are still free. And we will be because they pay the bills for us. Thank you so much to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And thank you to those watching us in, uh, let's see, we have three written down here. Indianapolis, Indiana tuned in. Houston, Texas is tuned in. And Savannah, Georgia tuned in tonight. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bold Predictions rolls on. I, I knew what was coming today, but I walked in the office and I didn't want to say anything because I wanted to see which production executive or maybe just outright producer or director around here was going to come up to me. And you know who it was? It was Zach. Production executive Zach came up to me and said, why don't we just call this Bold Predictions X7? because WrestleMania 17 was called WrestleMania X7 instead of the classical Roman numerals. And you know what? I'm going to allow it. Why not? Bold predictions, X7, or as you might call it, chapter 17 tonight. These are things that you claim you would bet your own money on, and we are rolling really deep at this point. There is some extreme boldness tonight. I'm going to try not to laugh because you deserve to be taken seriously. Uh, This first one, we could see it happen. Okay, we've talked about this. So the first one is from Suffering Tennessee Fan. And uh, he slash she, they, to be safe, say, Tennessee finally beats Alabama after 16 years, and I get to remove the suffering part (laughs) out of my name. Also, side note, the last time we beat Bama, I was two years old. Uh, Some quick math tells me that you are a legal adult now. If you were two years old, the last time Tennessee beat Alabama, that would have been 2006. And um, I put this at an eight. This is not the boldest thing in the world. It's pretty bold. We've got a point spread already on this game. So if you wanted to go bet this game right now, you could. You could go to, well, depending on your sports book of choice, you could go there and probably get Alabama or Tennessee, if you want to bet Tennessee, plus 13 and a half or plus 14. The line's hovering around two touchdowns. The game's at Neyland. And if you're going to play Bama, where would you rather have them than coming off back-to-back games at Arkansas and against Texas A&M? If you believe in the whole body blow theory in college sports and college football, which you should, it matters, it's a real thing, even for teams as deep as Alabama, yeah, that's when you want to get them. Now, it's not the easiest week before for Tennessee, because I think they're at LSU. So both of these teams are going to be coming off pretty physical games. But imagine Tennessee being 5-0, which is the scenario that selfishly a lot of us around here are thinking about, because selfishly, you know, this is one of my favorite rivalry names third Saturday in October, and I, of course, have never been in the building when Tennessee won this game. I've been, in, I've been at the game many times, never seen Tennessee win the game. I, d- I don't even need them to win it. I would just like to see them, for spectacles purposes, be undefeated when we arrive at the game. What would that take? It would take a win on the road against Pitt, which could happen, and it would take a win against Florida in week four could happen, and then it would take a win on the road at LSU. Now, any one of those are possible, if not likely, to happen. Are all three of them capable of happening? Percentage-wise, I wouldn't put it at 50-50, but I wouldn't put it at three either. So, you know, somewhere in between there, it's possible. Tennessee beating Alabama, though, I'm going to put it at an eight. It's still fairly bold, but notice it's not a 10. So, hey, things are looking up in Knoxville. Next up, this one's really bold. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what my boldness scale on this is. It's a nine and a half. Uh, Grayson said, the national championship game will feature two teams that have never been to the playoff before. So I had producer Jesse do you a favor and me, and I had him compile a quick list of the teams that have been to the playoff. A lot of them you could rattle off. You, of course, know about Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, yeah, you remember them. How, how many people off the top of their head remember that Oregon was in the first playoff back in 2014? Florida State was in the first playoff. They played each other, actually, in 2014. Michigan State's been there. Washington's been there. Cincy, Michigan. So those are the teams that have been there. Th- therefore, they do not qualify for this. The prediction is both teams in the national title game will be newbies, fresh blood when it comes to the playoff. So, Jesse, show me some teams we could be talking about here. We could be talking about a and USC has yet to taste that playoff. Utah, Wisconsin, Texas, Oklahoma State, always a sleeper there. Uh, Baylor, last year's Big 12 champ, they haven't been there yet. Florida, Iowa, Pitt, Miami, Penn State. So these are some of the teams we're talking about. Look at that list, or think about it if you're listening on podcast. Do you see USC versus Baylor? Do you see a and versus Pitt? What about Miami versus Oklahoma State? Do you see some combination of these teams or a team that has even longer odds to play for a national championship? Do you see that this year? I don't, so this is a nine and a half for me. And I'll tell you, you may think back to as recently as this past year, 2021, and you may say, this is not that bold, Josh, because remember, two of the four teams in the playoff this past year were newbies, Michigan, Cincinnati, they were new. So it almost happened, didn't it? No, it didn't almost happen. Uh, Michigan got splattered, as did Cincinnati. And therefore, you realize how different the challenge is making the playoff versus playing for the national title. Oh, you could get there now. You can navigate your way there. Winning once you get there, and in this case, needing two new blood teams to win when they get there, that is a much taller task. So I'm calling that a nine and a half. Uh, this next one's really bold. Let's go to the ACC. Jamison said, Clemson has the same disappointing year this year as last year. They do not make the ACC championship. This is an 8 for me. I would be uh, moderately stunned if Clemson did not at least play for the ACC championship. But, notice I didn't say 10, I only said 8. Uh, they are the overwhelming odds-on favorite to win the ACC. In this case, I just need them to play for the conference championship. But what have we seen in years past? And how would Clemson's hopes and dreams get derailed this year if that were to come to pass? Well, easily, it would be the same way that they got derailed last year. We've seen this before. We've seen teams waste good to great defensive performances because they couldn't score if their life depended on it. Remember last year Clemson lost two games. So everyone looks back and they remember 10 and 2, or I guess 11 and 2 if they won the bowl game, which I think they did. So I don't want to draw your attention to the two losses. What I want to do is illustrate to you how close it was to being worse. There goes the pop of the paper. You know, they had wins against teams like Georgia Tech and Boston College and Syracuse and Louisville. Those four wins were by one possession, guys. And in some of those cases, they didn't even top 20 points. So those were close games. One bounce of a ball here or there changes the outcome in those games. And they beat FSU by 10. So they lost two games last year they had another four games that were one possession five games that were ten points or less and i say that to say if they have not improved offensively a a significant margin this year all of a sudden if you look at this year's schedule yeah your, your eyes automatically go to the game against wake forest or against nc state but if they can't score if they haven't improved if they're not more versatile and explosive in the past game Louisville's in play, at Notre Dame, certainly in play, Syracuse is in play, at Florida State's in play, at Boston College, South Carolina at the end of the year, Miami, my point is, if they don't make the ACC championship game, period, it will no doubt be because they had the same problems as last year. Their over-under win total's 10 and a half. So if you believe that they're gonna have those problems, there you go. And and in fact, they're even giving you a little leniency on the juice to the under. It's only minus 105. If you believe that Clemson will struggle again, there's some pretty easy money on the board. Because here's a spoiler. If they do have the same problems they had last year, not to mention if they're even more pronounced because of whatever you think the result's going to be of losing both coordinators, they will not win more than 10 and a half games. So they're they're either going to be completely overhauled this year and it's a non-issue, or they will finish 10 and 2 or worse again. I happen to believe they will play for the ACC championship. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call that an eight. Uh, this next one is, is comfortably in nine territory. How about this? Try this one on for size out there. Minnesota will go 11-1. They're going to win the Big Ten West. They will take Ohio State to the wire in the conference championship game before losing. With Kirk Soraka back, Tanner Morgan at quarterback, Chris Altman-Bell and Dylan Wright, they're going to tear up the Big Ten. Respectfully... I don't believe that. So I'm calling this a 9.3 on the boldness scale. Our first ever 9.3. Let's discuss preseason odds for just a second. To give you a clear understanding of of what's being predicted here, here are the Big 10 West odds. Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, Purdue, and then there's Minnesota there. They have the fifth best odds to win this division. So our prediction of 11 and 1 and Big 10 West champs, if you believe that, and the rules here are you would be willing to bet your money on it, uh, you're gonna be pretty rich come December. If it does pan out, because they are very, very long shots to do this right now. One loss, one loss here, 11 and one, means that at Michigan State, at Penn State, Purdue, at Nebraska, Iowa, at Wisconsin, we're navigating all that with just one loss. It sure would be one of the biggest stories in college football. I get the whole Tanner Morgan being reconnected with his old offensive coordinator, Kurt Saraka. I get all that. But here's what else I get. Um, th- they had that before and were never able to come close to 11-1. and And secondly, their offensive and defensive lines got pretty decimated. And they are relying on a lot of transfer help there. And if all of those pieces don't pan out, or uh, much less if there's injury that comes into play, They can't come close to this. Most good teams can't come close to this. And by good, I mean preseason top 15. It is hard in a Power 5 conference to finish 11-1. So I'm going to call this a 9.3 on the boldness scale. Last for tonight, but not least, Michael said LSU will make a New Year's 6 bowl game. We never lacked talent except at the coaching level, and now we have that. What a world we live in where, where you can justifiably, or justifiably, my bad, refer to your former coach as not being talented and the guy won a national championship. It's fascinating. I'm going to call this an eight. I think a lot of you think it's more bold because their over-under win total is seven. So how in the world are they about to make a New Year's Six game? Well, part of it is out of LSU's hands. See, Ole Miss, whether you remember this or not, Ole Miss played in a New Year's Six bowl game last year. They played in the Sugar Bowl. How did that happen? Well, you had to have two things come together. The first Ole Miss had to overachieve, which they did. But then the second thing that was even more important is you had to have two teams from the SEC in the playoff. So Bama was there, Georgia was there. Well, what does that do? That takes two teams that would normally be taking up spots from your conference in those New Year's Six games, and it redirects them, which means they have to dive to the number three seed or the number four seed or whatever the case may be to fill out the allotment for the SEC in the New Year's Six game. So if LSU ended up being this year's Ole Miss, if they're a nine-win team or a 10-win team or something like that, even if one of the losses is to Alabama, that's okay. If Bama and Georgia were in the playoff again, then whoever that surprise team is, whoever that third place, fourth place team, uh, however that shakes out, whichever teams are there, they're the ones contending for and competing for a spot that otherwise would not have been open if your conference teams didn't make the playoff. So because that is out there as a lingering possibility, even though it's a fringe possibility, I'm going to call this an eight. You've got depth, which we talked about a lot tonight. It's going to creep in as an issue for LSU this year. Schedule, just because of the division they play in, is an issue, and growing pains. You know, for everyone who looks at the problems you had under Ed Orgeron, but those same people being happy that Brian Kelly's in the house, well, why are you happy? You would tell me yourself you're happy because Brian Kelly has a different way of doing things. That's true. I'm not telling you don't be excited about that. But I am saying as far as 2022 is concerned, that means by by default, there are some guys in that program that were getting away with things in the past that the new guy is not going to let him get away with. And sometimes that's not the smoothest transition in the world. So growing pains is always an issue. When you're flipping culturally, as well as flipping your coaching staff roster and and they've got some guys they lost to the portal. I mean, Eli Ricks should be on this team. He's not. He's playing for Alabama, not to mention losing some of those other guys in the secondary. We do not know who's going to start at quarterback for LSU yet. So anyway, I'm saying all that to say there's a world where this happens, but it would require some help elsewhere and them to win some games that they're not expected to win this year. Lincoln, Nebraska, they're tuned in there tonight. Savannah, Georgia, I I think I already said Savannah. That means two of you checked in from Savannah. Hopkinsville, Kentucky, tuned in as well. We had a couple of questions that I wanted to hit here. And these are, uh, well, I tell you, the first one we're going to talk about came kind of out of left field. But you know what? I've got a pretty definitive stance on it, so I'm glad they asked it. Let's dive into the mailbag. I want you to answer this along with me, because I think it's pretty safe to say everyone's got a feel on this. First question, Urban Meyer stunk with my team and was a terrible fit. This is a Jaguars fan, but his college resume speaks for itself. Do you think he'll ever return to the college game as a coach? Hashtag Pate State. Uh, There is no doubt in my mind. So, so there's no fence riding here. There is no doubt in my mind Urban Meyer is going to be a college football head coach again one day. I don't know what year that is, but I don't think it's too far away. This guy is not complete without football. Urban Meyer as long as he has been drawing breath on this earth, he's been involved with the game in some way. He has coached for for years and years and years now. He's only in his late 50s and legacy means a lot to guys like this. So if anyone in their right mind thinks that the last thing Urban Meyer is going to allow you to remember about him is whatever we call what just happened in Jacksonville this past year, you're crazy. Now, I've had some people text me about this. I asked around today to some people kind of on the administrative side, uh, people who would be involved in the hiring process. and they, they said what a lot of folks in our industry say. They said, well, he's going to have to repair and rehabilitate his image. From who? Or, or, or for who? He's not running for public office. Sometimes I think we conflate these two things. If you're a college football coach, you have to appeal to one group of people, and that's the group that's going to hire you and your fan base. It doesn't matter if the rest of the world despises you. you got to be able to appeal to your people, and you got to be able to sell your program to recruits. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter. You think Jimbo Fisher cares that you hate him in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now? No, he's not worrying about repairing his image for people elsewhere. He's worried about the folks in College Station, and he's worried about four- and five-star recruits. And if they believe in you and they're buying what you're selling, it doesn't matter what the rest of the country thinks. So I'm telling you, I haven't missed any headline. I've seen and read the same things you have about Urban Meyer. And if he was running for public office, it'd be a problem. But he wants to be a college football head coach again, I think. And if he wants to be that, he's going to be that. So he doesn't have much of a, an image problem to rehab. That's a lot more a talking point in our world than in the world that he lives in. That's my take on that. Uh, the other thing here is, which I don't know how long it's going to take. So I don't expect him to be a head coach this year, obviously. It may not even be a 2023 thing. But when, when you think about what you need to do, if you have tried out something and it's failed, there is this group of people out there that is, that is seemingly incapable of understanding the difference between trying to be an NFL head coach and trying to be a college head coach. The only thing that is similar about these is the shape of the ball that they put in play when it's time to strap it up and you know when the clock starts on Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon. This is a different world. These are different galaxies. The The ability for you to go acquire 16 and 17-year-old talent and have disproportionately tilted in your favor resources and having About as much say as you could possibly have in the day-to-day operations of your organization versus what the NFL is. It's just two different worlds. So yeah, I know they call it football, but that's about where the similarities begin and end. Urban Meyer is tailor-made for college football. Urban Meyer was so woefully ill-equipped to be an NFL head coach. I think he knows that now. Uh, Whether he does or not is irrelevant. He'll never get a shot to be the former again. But the latter? He could be my head coach at Pate State. I don't care what you think about him. Here's what I would do if I were Urban Meyer. And I'm pretty sure this is what he's going to do. I'd get myself back on TV as quickly as I could because he's one of the best I've ever seen to come off the sideline and get in the booth or get on the desk on game day or on big noon kickoff, as it were, with Fox and talk football in ways that the mass public understands. Urban Meyer is so phenomenal at that. So if you are of the camp, that believes he needs to rehabilitate his image, he'll do it, probably this year, on TV. And he'll make a comfortable living doing that, and watch and see, week over week, you'll start to soften on him, and you won't be alone there. The rest of the country will start to soften, and you'll remember, wow, this guy knows football, in case you forgot. And secondly, you know he's got a little more personality to him than people realize. He comes across, comes through the screen very well, He explains this game in a way that I understand it. And I'm starting to remember more and more as I watch him, as the weeks go by here on TV, that this guy was great when he was in college. I don't need him to be an NFL coach. If I want him to be a college coach, seems like he's still got that fire. That's how people will feel as the weeks go on. His agent, his representation, will be doing their due diligence behind the curtain. And then will eventually come the time, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, Where the right job comes open. And all Urban Meyer has to do at that point is take his college resume, plop it down in someone's lap that's eventually gonna make the decision as to whether to hire him or not, and say, How bad do you want that? How bad do you want those results? Because I'm still every bit as capable of delivering them as I always have been. And I could be here, I could be across the field from you, make up your mind. Uh, There are some people who believe he's gonna have to re enter this world at a G5 level. There there are some people I had one person tell me today, don't be surprised to see him pop up at Bowling Green, which is where you got to start as a head coach. I I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world. I'm just telling you from my perspective, I don't think it's necessary for him to to have to reprove himself. And I'm just speaking as someone who hypothetically runs a Power 5 program, which we are at Pate State. He doesn't have to reprove anything to me, and he doesn't have to be likable He just has to be able to do the same things that he was doing beforehand. And here's the added bonus. Maybe he even learned a thing or two. Maybe he even redefined a way to do a thing or two. So maybe I get a better version of him. Uh, Yes, yes, Urban Meyer will be a head coach again. Next up, this is always exciting. Always an exciting question. From Stilton, Pennsylvania. Can't wait for the season. Love the show. Give me your most loaded Saturday of the season. And I'm not talking about Jack and Coat. Well, neither are we because neither brand sponsors us. So which Saturdays are the most loaded this year? I remember doing this segment last year. It got me so excited. Here we go. October 8th is your Saturday. October 8th is week six, just like last year. The, fir- or the first or second Saturday in October, that week six window, it was the same last year. It's going to be that way this year too. Here is what we have to look forward to on that Saturday. This is the Saturday that you get what you've all been waiting for in the South, which is Texas A&M at Alabama. And that's a night game, so I'm not going in chronological order. Before that happens, you get Oklahoma versus Texas in Dallas, and that's going to, I guess, be your noon kickoff. It doesn't stop there, friends. There is a big regional game. Tennessee at LSU is that day. Huge game on the West Coast. Utah at USC. That could be for the Pac-12 South. UCLA will have something to say about that. Ohio State is at Michigan State. Spartans desperate to atone for that drubbing last year. You've got Brigham Young and Notre Dame on this day. You've got Clemson at Boston College in a spot that may not stand out to you, but it should if you understand who Clemson plays the two or three weeks before that and who they play after that. Auburn is at Georgia on this Saturday. It's a loaded, loaded Saturday. Marquee games Tier two games, you got games with conference implications on them and everywhere in between. So October 8th, week six, that is, I think, the biggest Saturday of the year. Certainly not the only Saturday that matters, though. We take an any given Saturday approach around here. So you don't have to wait until week six. Let me draw your attention to week two. I know all of you are busy looking at week one. We all have week one memorized. Look at week two. Talk about an out-of-conference special here. Oklahoma at Nebraska. And this is Kind of, it's week three for Nebraska, I guess. Um, You know what? That is week, this is week three, isn't it, Jesse? I think I accidentally wrote week two. September 17th is week three. Okay, so this is the right date. It's just the wrong week. Week three, Oklahoma at Nebraska, Penn State at Auburn. These are all out of conference games, but they're all in a home venue. No neutral sites here. Brigham Young at Oregon. Notice how much Brigham Young popping up on this. Michigan State at Washington. Miami at Texas A&M. And then we've got a couple of games down here. Uh, UGA at South Carolina, that's a conference game. Texas Tech at NC State is not a bad game there either. I don't think that's exactly going to turn into an annual classic rivalry, but we've got a lot of -of out-of-conference true road games that day. And that's in week two or week three. Keep saying week two because I accidentally wrote week two. I got one more for you, though. Let's go deeper into October. October 29th, week nine. You got some heavy hitters here. Ohio State at Penn State. They've already confirmed it as big noon kickoff, much to the chagrin of 99.9% of the population. You're looking at the 0.01% here. Georgia versus Florida in Jacksonville is this day. Ole Miss is at Texas A&M. Michigan State at Michigan. Pitt at North Carolina. Those are a couple of the teams right below Clemson as the favorites to win the ACC. Oklahoma is at Iowa State. Dangerous road spot there. Kentucky at Tennessee right beneath Georgia, talking about the hierarchy of the SEC East, Arkansas at Auburn, ditto in the West. Those are a lot of conference games, a lot more conference flavor there. But those three Saturdays, week two or week three, week six, week nine, they're all divisible by three. That's what I know. About every three weeks, you you got a monster slate of games. And then, you know, in between, you've got pretty good slates of games. So it's going to be a loaded 2022 You know, I've got one more thing to talk to you about here. And so I guess I'll save what I was about to say for the end of this segment. But that's a look, to wrap that up. That's a look at some of the most loaded Saturdays this year. Appreciate you guys being tuned in, if you are, by the way. And I just put in the live chat, a little call to action for you. Um, Man, we're getting so close to 100,000 subs. Okay, speaking of that, I'll wrap back around with that in a second. Brandon Marcello has a really good article on the 247sports.com homepage right now. And that is something that you need to just print out, and you need to pin it on your refrigerator, or you can just bookmark this show. And it is dates you need to know, because there's a lot of stuff coming up, and there are rule changes you need to know, and there's some stuff about late kick. All this stuff's happening right now, we've got less than 80 days until the season kicks off, so here's what you need to know. Big recruiting visits happening right now, uh, June 18th through the 26th, there's going to be a madhouse everyone's going to try to get really, really big visit weekends there because after that, uh, we're going to go into sort of a dead period for a little while. So uh, the 18th through the 26th, got huge recruiting visits. Then June 23rd through 26th, the Manning Passing Academy is happening. And that's noteworthy because a lot of the big current college quarterbacks go down to, I think they do it in Thibodeau, Louisiana. So they go down there. You got Peyton, you got Eli, you got Archie there. Arch. Manning will no doubt be there, I think, fresh off his official visits. And so we'll see if he says anything. But also, that's always an event that's noteworthy, and you get some whispers and some intel out of that. Also, the recruiting dead period, as I said, starting June 27th through July 24th. Translation, assistant coaches are headed out the door to the nearest beach and turning their phone off for a little while. And that's about the window that you have for vacation in the sport right now. The Elite 11 is in Los Angeles this year. We're going to be there, actually. We are going to do a show from Los Angeles in a couple of weeks. So uh, we're headed out there, what, Jesse? I think Monday the 27th. So we'll be out there for uh, several days. But the Elite 11 finals are in L.A., and that's the 28th through the 30th. We'll have wall-to-wall coverage on the network itself. Like I said, our Thursday show, Late Kick, will be out there, and I think we're doing it a little bit earlier in the day. And I'll tell you why we're going to do it earlier in the day, because I don't feel like staying in LA an extra day. So I want to fly home that night. So we're going to hop that uh, last Southwest flight out of LAX back to Nashville. But Elite 11 is the last portion of June. Media days start in July. And it's an interesting note that Marcelo put in his article. There's not a lot of overlap. Sometimes when you look at the media day schedule, you got one going on when the other one is, and then the other one starts about the time the other one's ending. The only overlap I think the last day of SEC Media Days, which is a Thursday, overlaps with the first day of ACC Media Days. Other than that, you can see it if you're watching on YouTube right now. You've got the Big Ten standalone. You've got the Pac-12 just one day, July 29th, but it's standalone. The SEC is the big four-day block, the 18th through the 21st, but there's not a lot of overlap. We will be at least live from the SEC Media Days, and we'll do probably a live show from down there, too. Uh, speaking of the show, you know there's a lot going on with Late Kick right now, a lot going on with us here. So y- you got a, you got a quiet period coming up in recruiting after that, and you got camps opening on the 1st of August, and that coincides with a dead period in recruiting. So there's a lot going on there. But on our show right now, we have a lot of dates that are yet to be determined. Things like, for example, when we hit 100,000 subs, management has promised a surprise, and... All that remains to be found out is when that's going to happen. You've also got this year's tour, this fall's tour. Hopefully, building on last year's Renaissance tour. When are we going to name that thing? We'll see. Date TBD. Where are we going in week one? Could we go to Columbus, Ohio, for the Notre Dame, Ohio State game? Could we go to Atlanta for Oregon, Georgia? Could we go? Uh, could we? Could we just surprise everyone and go to Pitt for West Virginia versus Pitt? where are we going to be in week one? We will make that announcement in due time. And because I've talked about it so much, there's no need to hide it. Uh, there are contract negotiations going on between myself and fill in the blank. So the future of the show, the future of Late Kit, all of that's on the table. And over the next, what, like month or two months, you're going to get answers to all those things. The show's, nothing's going to happen to the show. This channel will be where the show airs one way or the other way or the other way. Uh, just a lot of things to keep in mind. So save that, bookmark that, because those are questions you're going to have. Can we recruit right now? When is camp open? Don't worry. We got you all taken care of. Media days? What days are those? Got you all taken care of. And marcelo has got that article, I think, on 247sports.com right now. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. I told you we we're going to get you out of here before game six tipped off tonight. So, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, and for our entire crew here. I'm Josh Pate. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great early start to your weekend. We'll see you back here Sunday night. Until then, God bless.